Well, hello everyone and welcome to Gospel Community Providence. We are a small community of Jesus followers in Providence, Rhode Island. Our goal in life is to be the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, living out God's mission in our culture. You're listening to content created specifically for our church community, and the thoughts and teachings that you'll find here come from a study of the Bible that is informed by some of the best thinkers and followers of Jesus today and throughout church history. Just a heads up, you may hear a variety of voices and distractions and noises in the background. This is because we are a church of families with real lives full of children, noise, and interruptions. We celebrate these noises, however, because they remind us that real life is not a perfectly curated moment, but is full of opportunities to worship Jesus through the messy, unflattering, and mundane. In addition to this, you may hear the voices and comments of various audience members throughout the teaching. While this often causes our time to go a little long, it also deepens and enriches our time together as we discuss what we are learning and reflect on how to live it out. So bear with us. We are not professionals, but we are imperfect people who love and serve a perfect God. Let's go. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Thanks, Sam. We need to get Sam on a mic for vocals so we can hear those harmonies. We don't need to do that. Yeah, we do. is it okay if I sit down with you guys? We're, we're a small enough crowd this morning. Okay, so obviously that wasn't Luke. We've been going through Luke, but we're taking a break from Luke. Uh, starting, we were planning on taking a break from Luke starting in um, next week in June. Uh, but as we were spending some time praying this week over our church, praying over... Uh, some of the stuff going on in our country, praying over COVID stuff. We just we knew we needed to spend some time uh, talking about 
uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, and initially, I had actually written out this beautifully written letter. It's like, that's going to be just to encourage and challenge and disciple our church together. And after I wrote it, we, we were talking about it and realized this needs, to be a, this needs to be a Sunday morning. We need to dedicate some time on Sunday to talking about this issue. Um, it is abundantly clear, uh, without a lot of effort, it's abundantly clear for us to see that we live in a very polarizing and divisive culture, right? That's, that's like we just assume that that's a thing, right? In our culture, people are generally very polarized uh, and very divisive, right? You, uh, you don't have to look far to see that. Uh, and it's not enough for, for us to just agree to disagree. Um, we tend to like vehemently disagree with someone. We vilify and villainize the opposite opinion, the opposite perspective, right? Lots of these there. Um, voraciously vilify and villain. Yeah, I'm just done. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, it's not enough for us to, to, to honor and respect one another. We, we have to uh, like tear them down in their perspective because we, we believe that they are so wrong. Uh, and so uh, this is happening uh, in our culture, in our nation, in our world. This is happening in the church, right? Not, not just our church, but in the, the big C church around the world that is happening. Uh, you don't have to look too far past the last, la- the last election cycle to see this happening, right? It's this division, this polarization, uh, this uh, uh, everyone else is wrong and I am right and, and everyone else is evil and I am right. And so I think Paul does such a good job addressing this issue in 1 Corinthians 8. I've been chewing on this for a while uh, and praying through this for a while and we probably should have talked about this like a year ago. But we might as well talk about it now because better late than never. So I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to talk through this passage in 1 Corinthians 8. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for being present with us. Thank you, Jesus, for, um, for rescuing us and redeeming us and giving us new life and new hope and new love and new peace. And this morning, as we are reminding ourselves that we get to live in that new creation, that newness, we also recognize that there's areas where we struggle, there's areas where we need to grow, where we need to become more like you. And so would your Holy Spirit, uh, would would be present with us this morning, uh, use your word to challenge and speak to us um, and make us more like you. We love you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, What do you guys know about Corinth? Been there? Ooh, interesting. <laughs> Jacked, right? They're messed up. Um, probably worse than any other church in the New Testament. Corinth is like the like the the prime example of do not be like this, right? Um, if you want to if you want to compare like some of the churches you've been to to Corinth, you're going to walk away saying, man, my ch- my churches are pretty good. Like we're doing we're doing pretty well compared to Corinth, right? They their primary biggest issue was how divisive and uh, and um, uh, just how much they disagreed and divided against one another. But they also had like lots of sin issues, lots of struggles going on. There's people that were sleeping with one another in the church. Uh, there were people suing one another in the church. There were people that were abusing spiritual gifts, abusing communion, abusing worship, abusing leadership. And think about like anything else you can think of with the church. They were probably abusing that. 
All right, like that was Corinth at, at, its, at its whole. And, and Corinth as a city itself was also uh, very, uh, 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 very sensual. It was just a challenging and sinful culture to live in. Um, and so uh, Paul is the one who plants this church and he has to write not one, not two, but three letters to this church, right? Asking them and, and trying to correct their beliefs and correct their theology so that hopefully through that they have a better uh, praxis as well, practice as well. Um, two of those letters are in the New Testament. The other one is like referenced, but we don't, we don't get to know what it was. We get to infer. Um, so in, in Rome, uh, if you lived in the Roman Empire in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, uh, it was pretty much acceptable to worship almost any god that you wanted to worship, as long as you also worshiped Caesar. Right? So as long as you were okay with you know, worshiping Caesar as like the god of, above all other gods, uh, then uh, you could pretty much worship whoever you wanted. And so as a result, all of the major cities, they have their own, um, their own patron gods that they, that they worship. They have their own like – it's almost like their, their sports team that, that, they, that they get behind, but it's their god that they get behind. Uh, so a really good example of this is actually in Ephesus. Do you guys remember when Paul's in Ephesus uh, and he is planting the church and all of a sudden because people are getting saved – um, the, uh, the, 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 the financial uh, uh, side of the temple worship starts to suffer. People aren't buying idols anymore because they're, they're turning to Jesus. And so uh, they basically start a massive riot going throughout the streets shouting, great is Artemis of Ephesus, right? That was their patron god. So Corinth also had a patron god. Corinth had um, uh, a, a set of temples, a set of worship practices that they would take part in. And one of those things that we, what we learned about is that they had animal sacrifices in their temples. Uh, they would perform their worship to their God, to their idols. They would sacrifice an animal. And then after that worship service is over, you could actually pop by the market and there was discount meat. Right? You, can get it, you can get it on sale. Right? They've, they gotta, they've gotta use it up. They gotta get rid of it. And so they would sell it on discount and that money was used to continue the worship practices in those temples. And so uh, at, at this point in the Corinthian church, uh, a division starts arising. Right? There are some people that were financially, fiscally challenged. They were going through difficulties. And so meat on sale? Hey, I gotta feed my family. It just makes sense. Right? And then there was other people in the church uh, that uh, they had been saved out of that worship. They'd been saved out of uh, uh, taking part in those temple practices. And so uh, when they saw that meat, when they, they saw it as their old life, their old way, and so uh, it was, uh, they saw it as really wrong and even sinful to partake in that meat because it, it, in their consciousness, they felt like it was sinful. And so uh, it was basically a division between those that thought that eating meat is kind of like walking a Roman road, right? I don't have to worship Caesar in order to walk on a Roman road. Right, it's just meat. Meat is meat. And then there were those that said, if you eat this meat, you're basically like forsaking the faith. Right? That's how significant it was to them. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 8 to address this issue. Okay, Let's read this. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, yet he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And if you go back to verse 1 there, uh, I didn't put those quotations there, by the way. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like a nod from the transit. So like, if anyone uh, thinks they have knowledge, right, it's, it's, it, uh, it's funny how, uh, how quotations make an entire sentence feel funny. Um, Paul is basically saying, I, I love that he starts out with this. He's basically saying, 
Uh, it's not an, an issue of knowledge and facts. It's an issue of love. Okay? Um, and it, it, how many times over the past year, in the, at least in the past year, have you heard someone say, well, they just don't have the right facts. Right? If they just had the right facts, they would believe the way that I believe. They would do what I think we should be doing because they or, or the, the phrase has been, you got to listen to science, which is just another way of saying, listen to the facts. Right? And, and uh, people from the other side are saying the same thing. They just don't have the right facts. If you, if you shut everything down for COVID, you're going to destroy the economy and destroy uh, uh, you know, lives and people are going to be out of, out of homes and out of work. And, and so th- there's, there's an argument over who has the right facts. And Paul, on purpose, puts this in quotations and he says, it's not about the facts that you know. Right? The solution to this issue is not about knowledge. It's actually about love. And he uses this phrase that knowledge puffs up, it leads to pride, but love builds up, right? When you're in danger, uh, would you rather be a puffer fish or a castle wall? (laughs) A puffer fish or a castle wall, right? When you're in danger, (laughs) fine, a puffer fish or a shark. Right? Would you rather be a puffer? It'll make sense in a second, all right? All right, give me a break, guys. A puffer fish, when he's in danger, what does he do? Fills himself full of air, right? It's not actually dangerous. It's just full of air, right? It's, It's puffed up. But if you're in a dangerous position and you can hide in your castle or you've built up your walls, you're safe. Nothing's gonna come at you, right? So Paul is telling us that knowledge is like a puffer fish. It blows blows you up. Right? But love, it actually builds us up. It strengthens us. It makes us unified and stronger. So he continues, verse four. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For, the, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, uh, yet for us there is only one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. One Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So Paul's argument is basically saying, um, we know that there's only one God. We know that there's no, that every other uh, God of the Roman Empire, every other temple that's worshiping idols, those are not real, right? It's a false God, it's not real. And so ultimately, that meat is just meat. Doesn't matter what, what, what ceremony it went through, it's just meat, right? Where there's only one God, then he continues on. However, not all possess this knowledge, verse seven, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if I do not eat and no better off if we do. And so he says, even though we know, even though we we got the right facts, there's only one God, there's no other God, this is just me. For some people, this knowledge is either they're too new to the faith or they've got so much baggage with their temple worship in the past or, 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 or whatnot. When they see that meat, there's still a struggle in their heart and they still feel like they're worshiping this idol. And so as a result, their conscience is defiled. Right? Their conscience is defiled. So some people are still going to struggle with this. They're going to feel like they're sinning by eating this. 
right? And I love that he, his answer to that is the gospel. He says in verse eight, food does not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. What is it that commends us to God? What is it that makes us right with God? Jesus, only Jesus, right? And Jesus himself tells us in Mark 7 uh, that it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of a man that makes him unclean, right? So it's not about what we eat or do not eat. We actually have the freedom to choose, right? The food that I eat does not make me right with God. The food that I abstain from, the drink that I abstain from is not what makes me right with God. It's Jesus who makes me right with God. And so we are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. And so there, there's, there's a sense of freedom, right? There's only one God. They're not real idols. It's just me. And even if it didn't, even if it didn't matter, we, we don't find our salvation in food. We find our salvation in Jesus. So you're free. Right? Go eat and drink and, and do it to the glory of Jesus. You're free. However, but, and this is the only command uh, verb in this entire passage. Verse nine, but take care. Be careful. Be cautious. That this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? He's saying when somebody is walking by the, by the temple and they see you buying and taking part in the meat that's offered to idols and their conscience is weak and they're, they're still feeling like that's sin and so they start to partake as well because you're doing it and all of a sudden now in their heart they're rebelling against God because even though it's not a sin to eat that meat, they feel like it's a sin and so it's an act of rebellion now. The, rebe- the, the sin is not the eating, the sin is the rebellion, right? A good example, um, when I was younger, my parents were in the Ukraine. We were missionaries. Uh, and this is pre-computers in every home. So my parents had this typewriter, right? It was like a fancy schmancy one that like was like as close as you can get to a computer without actually having one. And so one day I asked my dad, hey, dad, can I, can I use the typewriter? Because I want to write a letter to my friends in America, right? And, and my dad's like, uh, you're like nine. No, you're going to break it. Don't touch the typewriter. No. Uh, and so as soon as he left for work, I did what any reasonable nine-year-old would do. I went to mom. I said, hey, mom, can I use the typewriter? I want to write a letter to my friends in America. Uh, and my mom didn't know that my dad said no. So she said, yeah, go for it. That sounds like a wonderful idea. A great activity for a nine-year-old boy to write a letter to his friends. It's just pre-email. Um, well, I guess email it was in existence, but just we didn't have it. Um, <laughs> And so, lo and behold, about five minutes into using this typewriter, I break it. Oh. <laughs> uh, so what my dad understood about nine-year-olds and technology, I didn't quite get yet. And so I break this thing, um, and my dad comes home, and you guys know what happened next. I was punished for breaking and disobeying my dad. Why was I punished? Is it, was it a sin for me to use a typewriter? Not at all. It was a sin for me to rebel against my dad. Right? It was a sin for me to go against his command, his, against his word to me. And so in much the same way, uh, these, these Christians who felt like this was a sin, and when they partook in it, they were actually rebelling against God, and it became a sin for them. And so in verse 11, he says, uh, And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed 
the brother for whom Christ died. Oof. Even though I have freedom, even though I have the facts on my side, all of a sudden now, I have taken part in destroying and leading someone into sin for whom Jesus died. And in verse 12, he says, Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So all of a sudden now I am in sin as well. Not only did I leave a brother or sister into sin, but now I am also in sin because I'm guilty of destroying my brother and sinning against Christ. Right? So that's why Paul tells us, be careful, right? Be cautious. And he then does something that is absolutely radical. Something that shows once and for all that... Um, that he is a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit has transformed his heart and he is a new man, right? Because the people are writing to him because they want him to pick a side. Paul, which one of us is right? Which one of us is wrong, right? Is it just meat or am I forsaking the faith and worshiping idols? Like which one of us, need, like, which one of us needs to bend to the other, Paul is saying. And he says in verse 13, uh, he doesn't actually pick any side. He says in verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Can you imagine asking someone why they're a vegetarian and they give you that line? I, uh, yeah, you know, my, my, I have a, a friend who's really struggling with the fact that uh, I eat meat, and so I just decided to not eat meat for, this, for his sake, just to bless him, to be a good friend, to love him well. I decided to go vegetarian, right? That is a little bit radical in some ways, Right? That's a big life decision to make just out of love for your brother. And this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of love. Right? It is self-sacrificing. It is others first. It is, uh, it is out of a desire to build up, not puff up. All right, so in our culture that is so divisive and so polarized, Right? The way of Jesus seeks to give up my freedoms for the sake of the other. So early on in the pandemic, right, when we would wear masks, it was for the sake of those who are vulnerable. Even if I feel like I'm invincible, right? even if I feel like, man, that's not going to do anything to me. Even if I believe that my facts are right and someone else's facts are wrong, I wear a mask not because it's politically correct, not because I have to, but because it is loving to those who are around me. And even today, uh, we have this weird, uh, this, this is actually what spurred all of this on, was this conversation about, you know, there are some people that are vaccinated, they're allowed to go unmasked down certain places, and then there's others of us uh, who are unvaccinated, who are it's still recommended to, to stay vaccinated, right? I mean, to stay, <laughs> to stay masked. Um, and so it creates this weird little dichotomy where um, Anyone who is in a public space like our church gathering, if they're not wearing, if they're wearing a mask, it almost like, it, it, it like shines a spotlight on this person has not been vaccinated, right? And it has this tendency to shame and to isolate and to bring a spotlight to someone that, that, that doesn't, they might have a very legitimate reason why they haven't gotten vaccinated, right? And so it's an unnecessary uh, uh, way to, uh, to just point someone out. And so what we're seeing in Paul's teaching here is this principle of the weaker brother. Right? There is a weaker brother among us and 
out of love for the weaker brother, even though I have the facts, right? I believe that I have the facts. Out of love for my, my weaker brother, I'm going to uh, set aside my freedoms, set aside my preferences, set aside my, my agenda, and I'm going to love my brother instead. And so the moment that I, I sense in my heart that I'm trying to get an upper hand over someone so that I can get an outcome that serves me, I've already lost. Right? If I start to, to try to build up my argument, build up my army so that I can get the outcome that I want, I've already lost. Right? It's not about having the right knowledge. It's about showing love. Right? It's not about convincing each other to believe the same things. It's about finding the best way to love one another. And it's ironic to me that sometimes today it's not quite clear who the weaker brother is. Right? For all I know, I'm the weaker brother. For all I know, I'm the weaker brother. And so this is a reminder for me that we all get to willingly um, submit to one another. Set aside our own preferences, our own freedoms for the sake of my brother. And this the pandemic is just what, what's been uh, pushing me towards this passage. But this applies to so many areas of our culture today. Right, so many areas of our culture where we need, to, uh, we need to do a heart check. Why is it that I want somebody to do what I believe that they need to be doing? Right, is it because I have a certain freedom or a certain knowledge? And is this an opportunity for me to actually humble myself and love others better? And so uh, uh, as we were writing this and thinking about this in terms of masks, we made the decision, let's just, let's just all keep our masks on for now. Obviously, I'm not wearing a mask at this very moment. Um, let's all keep our masks on for now, at least, at least for a couple more weeks. Even though that there are some of us that are technically allowed to go maskless, um, for the sake of those that are, uh, that are being requested to, to, to still keep their masks on, we're just going to love them. Right? I have the freedom to go without a mask, but I'm going to love them anyway. And I'm going to put a mask on so that I can build up my brother, so I can build up the church and not tear it down. And that is, I think, the principle of the weaker brother applied to this situation. Um, so as, as, as we kind of move forward into the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, uh, we're, we're gonna get a little bit more clarity, hopefully from uh, our state, from our government, about what regulations are. Uh, and Lord willing, we're gonna go all maskless or all free, all free to worship how we want to worship uh, in the coming season. Uh, but for now, I think it is the most loving thing to do to just continue to wear our masks together. Um, what other areas in your life do you need to be, do you need to be the, the brother who says, I'm going to set aside my freedoms? What other areas of your life are you going to be the, the sister that says, uh, I'm going to submit to you even though I know that that's not a big deal. I'm going to choose to, to love you anyway. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to limit my own freedoms, limit my own preferences for the sake of you. Right? That is the way of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, our flesh tends to push us towards um, self-interest towards doing what, what benefits me. It does that to me, Jesus. My flesh pulls me towards self-interest. 
And I need to be reminded time and time again that the way of Jesus is the way of sacrifice. It's the way of surrendering freedoms. Not because I have to, but because I get to. Because I know that ultimately, uh, that is how I love my brother and my sister. Would you make us a church that is humble and submits to one another? that humbly puts the needs of others before our own, that, that recognizes that while we have certain freedoms, we need to take care. We need to be careful not to lead a brother into sin. We love you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.